Hello and welcome back to another episode of Emma and Tom Talk Teaching. And for this one, we've got an extended interview with a couple of guests that comes a little bit outside our normal kind of field. Uh, We've cast our net a little bit wider in the world of education because we think it's going to provide uh, some interesting perspectives and perhaps a few, few things to remember for those of us who work in school with young people. Absolutely. So we've got two guests who we're not going to introduce because they will introduce themselves um, uh, in a few moments time, but who are working uh, in the third sector. And I'm about to explain in this next bit uh, how I came to be connected with these two individuals who are doing some really great work in the third sector and I think it's important to mention as Tom just said casting on it a bit wider just helps us to gain a new fresh perspective on what we do in the classroom. So just before we actually go to the interview just a a little word of warning because we are speaking to some people with uh, quite a difficult history and they do go into some of that during the interview so just be prepared that uh, some of it you might find a little bit upsetting. Um, We were reassured by our guests afterwards that they were absolutely fine with us broadcasting it and that they were completely fine afterwards Uh, but just a little word word of warning about that and uh, when we come out we will give you one or two pointers for what to do if any of this applies to you uh, when you're out and about in school. Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. Episode 11. Pupils experiencing homelessness and multiple complex needs with Colette Carter and Lee Dimitriou from Shelter. Okay, welcome back everybody. We have got um, a really special episode for you this week because we've got two new guests on the podcast. Um, I would like to introduce you um, to our guests, but first of all, just to let you know that both of them work for a charity, Shelter, which some of our listeners may know a little bit about. Indeed, they might be supporters of Shelter. So I'd like to say a big welcome, big warm podcast welcome to Lee Dimitriou and Colette Carter. Welcome to our humble podcast. Thank you. Hello. (laughs) And I think the first thing our listeners will want to know is just a little bit about your roles within Shelter. So just tell us in your own time a little bit about who you are and what you do. Oh yeah, so yeah, I'm Lee. So my role at Shelter was originally employed for a project for um, having lived experience and that lived experience was the criteria was that you'd experienced um, the more the merrier, really, but the four main criteria was homelessness, mental health, substance misuse, and uh, offending behaviour. And I'd actually um, experienced all of those myself. So I'd, uh, I'd been a drug addict, uh, mental health. Yeah, I'd, I'd had dealings with the criminal justice system. So what the idea was that this new I say new, I don't think it was new, but it had never been done on, on such a, a grander scheme that we looked at employing people with lived experience to work along uh, what we called lead workers, people with a, a history and background of war, working in support and paired them together to support people with multiple and complex needs. Because I think we'd noticed that although generic support works for people that want to engage, there was so many people that had multiple and complex needs and uh, those generic support uh, systems weren't good enough because they didn't deal with this, the problems in hand. So I guess in a nutshell, it was it was basically getting people that had, had experienced themselves with multiple and complex needs to support people actually going through them at the time. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lee, and welcome to the pro- to the uh, to the podcast. Um, what about you, Colette? Yes, I was employed as a peer mentor on the um, lead worker peer mentor service because of my lived experience. Um, How the um, service came to fruition was the um, commissioners decided to ask a group of us who were in recovery. We'd all experienced one, two of the four complex needs, whatever, like Lee's just mentioned, homelessness, offending, addiction and mental health. And um, what they decided to do, because we were quite vocal, we thought we knew how to 
support clients. We all had passion. So what they'd done, they um, ran two models side by side. Model A was a seasoned support worker working totally on their own to support the same group. And model B, where it was a seasoned support worker with someone with lived experience. And after two years and data collected every month, model B came out on top for client outcomes and um, cost saving benefits. So we ran for the next two years with lived experience and um, support workers. During that time, I moved from being a peer mentor to a lead worker. And after that, Lee and I have been employed on what we call now as development officers on the continuation strategy to promote the successes of the lead worker peer mentor service that ran for four years, spreading the word and promoting the successes and the evaluations of cost saving benefits to people up and down the country via podcasts, webinars, newsletters, etc. So that's where we're at at the moment. So from very humble beginnings, probably our first very professional role back in 2015, here we are in 2020 with a completely different role, but still focusing on um, multiple and complex needs, lived experience and definitely systems change. Well, welcome to you both and congratulations on the success of, of the project and also the fact that, you know, it's got, you know, signs of real longevity. It looks like it's it's going to live on and, and so I congratulate you on that. And I just wanted to pick you up on that last point about how, you know, your your fellow podcasters, you're, you're trying to kind of spread the word and the success of, of what you've been doing with multiple listeners. You recently uh, featured in a podcast about your work called Challenging. And am I right in saying that this is Shelter's first podcast? Yes. Cracking. Yes. For, for a start off. And, you know, I'm, I'm an avid listener. And I've got to say, for those of you out there who haven't listened to it, go and have a listen on, on your podcast channel of choice. But we just want for our listeners to know a little bit about what you hope to achieve with that series. And if there were any kind of key messages that might strike a chord with teachers, because as you know, our, our listeners are teachers. And, you know, if there's anything that, that might strike a chord with them that you might want to kind of home in on. Yeah, um, so the podcasts came about actually because of COVID-19. When we first went into lockdown, I thought, oh my God, you know, how can we do this job now? Um, So there's only three of us on the team. We all put our heads together. We came up with some brilliant ideas. So the agenda before COVID was we were going to speak to services, commissioners, project managers and developers in Birmingham. And because of COVID and the the platforms that we're using, such as the podcasts, the webinars, etc., we've been able to reach a far wider audience, obviously, than just Birmingham. So everybody in the country who tunes in can hear what we've achieved. They can hear about the clients we supported and how we supported them. And NHS have actually taken on the model and their project's called Liaison and Diversion, where people with lived experience are working for the NHS, which is huge, you know, because of the barring uh, system, your DBS checks and that. They would have never been employed previous. So we're educating everybody on what can be done. New policies can be written within um, companies. Okay, so for the teachers... During support, and um, I have actual experience of this myself, and I believe leaders as well, that a common theme thread through everyone that I supported was something happened in childhood. Something happened either um, in the home, um, and of course they went to school, uh, never told a teacher, or if they were getting into trouble, they were instantly excluded, and whatever that trauma was, it never got looked into. So then the child either had got no school or they were sent to approved schools and it was all behavioural. They looked at the behaviours but not at the reasons. And the reasons were completely overlooked and of course um, 
a child's behaviour just gets worse, doesn't it? So I'd say a common theme that ran through and what teachers can be aware of is that um, it is always something generally that happens in childhood that is the start of someone's um, progression maybe into homelessness or offending, but specifically homelessness. Thanks, Claire. And I, I guess that kind of gets to the nub of, of what led us to you, really. And I, and I ought to explain to our listeners a bit about the kind of context that brought us together. I got a very good friend, and I guess she's kind of like a colleague as well, um, Rebecca Brynoff, Becky Brynoff, um, who you know very well, Lee and Colette, who I went to university with. And for those avid listeners to the podcast, she's she's also got another podcast of her own called And Then What Pod, which is a podcast all about stories. So we've mentioned her on our podcast already. So I I got in contact with Becky and I said, look, I'm loving this, this podcast challenging and I'd love to promote it on our podcast. And Becky said, you know, really, the best way to promote it is to speak to Lee and speak to Colette yourselves and, and get them on the podcast. And we thought this this kind of had kind of two-pronged attack so we had raising our listeners consciousness about homelessness and the sort of adversities that young people can experience that can result in homelessness so is that that side of it but also the thing that I find really fascinating is your peer mentoring roles because a lot of our student teachers go into school placements and they've got a mentor someone who they're working with closely but who has also been or and is a serving teacher so kind of really interested in it from that perspective as well so Going back to key messages that might strike a chord with teachers about homelessness, the next question we wanted to ask was, what sort of knowledge and messages would you really want schools to be teaching young people about homelessness? Ooh. It's, big question. It's a, it's a definitely it's a big one. I mean, I guess the, thir- the first, the most important thing is to to teach students uh, uh, for them to understand that I mean you know they say that now everybody's only one payday away from from homelessness you know it can happen to anybody you know so that's that's the kind of society we live in today you know with shortage on public houses and you know all that sort of stuff so I mean that there's a problem in itself for me it was about you know trying to teach people uh, at a young age that it's kind of okay to make mistakes in life you know that mistakes actually are part of life you know but then try and emphasize that it's, it's making the same mistakes in life that will hold you back you know uh, uh, if you learn by your mistakes and move on I think that shows you know learning and growth you know because they're always going to come in your life and I guess I guess the biggest thing certainly as adolescents and and I get you know this is something that that continues throughout our life you know the battle with our own pride and our own ego you know, and actually reaching out for help, and especially at school with, with peer pressure, and we hear so much things like you know, it's a weakness to ask for help and stuff like that. But um, you know, that's what I'd be advocating for students to kind of just openly admit, you know, when you feel that you're wrong, um, talk to your peers about it, talk to your teachers, you know, get feedback. You know, remember that, you know, opinions and views are free. I mean, you don't have to agree. Um, and I always think about, look, you know, little sayings. So, look, a problem shared is a problem halved. And I think so many of these things we kind of cling to throughout our life and go back to and in our own mind we repeat them and they become kind of mantras, if you like, to kind of get us through, through tough times. And I guess maybe trying to help students understand what they really are because they just seem like flipping phrases when you're young. It's not till you, till you grow old you see the depth of some of those the way I see it is like there's a two-pronged approach here so you're talking are we talking about children let me think about this children who are being brought up obviously in a home where they don't realize until probably they're a bit older than what's happening in their house their home is not necessarily the same as what happens in their friends' homes. Like, I was always under the impression that every dad behaved the way my dad did. But then you have, so they're not, of course, I had behavioural issues around this. But then there's 
the other degree where there is something physical abuse or even sexual abuse that's happening within the home that you would obviously have to call in social services etc and it's really really tricky isn't it because um let's see oh it's really hard to describe so you've got the, the children all being brought up and, and not knowing how to share what's going on because half of them don't know it's wrong so we ha is there any classes where you're openly encouraged to disclose what's going on and do children want to disclose and then you've got the other side of the issue where a teacher may have to go and disclose what's been told to them and then that's opening up a whole can of worms to what impact that is going to have on the child because they could be removed from the home for their own safety so they're like there's two huge issues going on here so say you've got somebody with behavioral issues that's not happy at home could we teach them could we uh, give them some tools to learn how to curb their reactions their angers where does the anger come from uh, classes around that maybe you know and of course then you've got the other side children who are really depressed or do who do not want to say anything about the way they're living because they never want to be removed from the home so they hang on to these issues like I did and eventually led me down the path because I was so angry and I didn't know how to express that anger um, and it led me down a path to drug to homelessness uh, around school age I went back home and then it led me down the path into drug taking and then there was the time that um, and of course it's acceptance acceptance as well I felt like I wasn't accepted into my peer group because one I didn't have enough money for clothes and two I couldn't afford to go out drinking and nightclubbing so I then was attracted to a certain type of music that only required a pair of monkey boots which was the skinhead um, uh, era so I was drawn to that because that's all I could afford you know and with that um, came um, offending and anger issues and um, you know rather than my friends going to the little nightclubs and toddling around in their high heels and um, all seeming to do really well with their lives and I had to take this path um, because of my circumstances. I think, um, I think what you're saying Colette it's about for me I mean you know and again I, I kind of I did message Emma and said some of my sayings might be bizarre and I guess we're looking because it's specifically teaching and and everybody sees teaching as, as academia. But what we're missing in, in schools, I believe, is like life skills. So, I mean, the, the fact is that, you know, emotional stability skills are going to stand you in better stead in life than any kind of academia. And I mean, I guess that means teachers becoming more more human and, and kind of, we, it's easy to identify somebody in a classroom that's struggling, I guess. You know, but kind of just, you know, these bizarre... So when things are going on in classes, that could we have, would they have the teacher have the power to stop and go? Well, okay, what's what's the what's the emotion that's going on here? Is it anger? Okay, let's get the dictionaries out. Let's look at what anger really is. Let's talk about it. You know, to get people to really understand the way they feel because it's feelings that um, that kind of take us where we go in life, isn't it? Yeah, and let's pick up on that a little bit, actually, because, of course, the job that we do over here in Cardiff Met, we're very lucky, I guess. We, we get new people coming into the profession who are very keen, very idealistic. They really want to help young people in that way. And lots of them, not all of them, but lots of them will have come from a very lucky privileged kind of background. You know, their lived experience is going to be very, very different from those kids that they want to help. If you could kind of myth bust or kind of put some misconceptions to bed about homelessness and other complex needs so that they don't kind of get that wrong when when they go into the profession what would be your kind of top myth busters in that area i guess i guess like when you look at some when you look at somebody homeless you kind of think i guess the main perception is that 
it was a choice that somebody done it to themselves, you know. But the fact is that most people that become homeless, like, like Colette said earlier, have suffered trauma in one way or another, and even mental health, all that sort of stuff. And then you've got to kind of ask yourself the question, haven't you? Is it really, is it an individual's problem or is it the, the society and the system that we live in that didn't support? So it's always about, for me, um, missed opportunities, I guess. You know, it's not, people don't, people don't choose to be homeless. There's just a million and one ways that you can have a rogue landlord that kind of just kicks you out because he decides he wants to. You know, there's so many ways of looking at something, but I mean, Again, you know, and some of the clients that we work with, they actually want to be homeless because they choose not to engage in society because, you know, we all know that living in society can create problems anyway. You know, you're always kind of told what you can and what you can't do and abiding by rules and they just don't want to and and they find it happier that way. I, I, think, I think it's interesting. I, w- I wonder, I mean, do you think it's easy for uh, the experiences of people who are experiencing homelessness to be, or, or just a person who's experienced homelessness to be stereotyped and that kind of just simplifies it too much? You're talking about people who, you know, have got multiple reasons why they experience homelessness. Is there a tendency to maybe just stereotype and that's part of the problem? Yeah, I think so because what's happening in a child's life they can never see that how they're behaving or what's going on at home could result in exactly the same reasons of why they see somebody sitting on the street homeless it's that far away it's unimaginable to them but they are on the path so how do you explain to a child that what's going on at the moment could cause that actual travesty. How do you get that across? Is it is the teacher a teacher or is she a friend? Like, where's the boundary? What's going on? I'll tell you a, a, a little um, scenario that happened to me. And um, let's see if that helps. So um, my mum became... She was ill, but she'd been ill for a number of years. I had missed several bits of school, but particularly in the fifth year, I missed a hell of a lot of school. And my fifth year was, um, well, if I go back to my third year, I was down, when you take your options, I was um, supposed to be doing eight O-levels. So to help me out then in the fourth year, that was changed to eight CSEs because I wasn't putting the the work in, I wasn't attending school enough. And then in the fifth year, when I was supposed to be sitting these exams, I just couldn't attend school because my mum was so ill. My dad was of no help. He was an alcoholic and a gambler, he just wasn't there. And he wouldn't have looked after her anyway. He didn't have any caring skills. So when school did finish, independently, these two teachers came around to see my dad Um, When the first teacher came around, I was sitting at the top of the stairs listening to the conversation, but I couldn't come and join the conversation because I had a black eye, which which my dad dad had inflicted. And um, she asked him, um, she asked him if... um, I could come back to school and go into the fifth year um, to reset my um, exams, particularly my English. Um, and um, he categorically said no. He said no. Um, I need her. I needed to get out and get a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, she can't go back to school. And uh, I sat at the top of the stairs and I cried. Um, but I couldn't go down because of this black eye. And then um, a few weeks later, I was out and about, and when I returned home, he said to me, another one of them effing teachers has been round, but I've shouldered the door. Tell them you're not going back to school. And um, um, so for someone who had potential, um, it was, I'd lost... I'd lost it then, you know, it's all gone. But with hindsight, 
would would I have gone down the stairs if you give me that option today? I don't think I would have because of the repercussions that would have caused to my uh, sister and two brothers. Mm. I wouldn't have wanted um, the teacher to see me like that. I wouldn't have wanted to cause a family rift. Um, so what was going on behind closed doors that had always gone on behind our front door stayed behind our front door and I had that moment there to make a choice and I didn't, I didn't that's the choice I made and funnily enough it would be the choice I would make today um, mm. because of um, the repercussions I suppose the events that would happen um, had I disclosed what was going on in the home uh, I, I would have been frightened if I was taken away uh, to leave my sister and brothers there. I, there was one brother that he picked on particularly, very similar to me, um, and he left the he left my sister and my younger brother alone for some reason. Um, so I was really worried about one of my brothers. Um, but isn't that odd that I would make the same decision today? Um, so I think what I've learnt while I've been in recovery is how to be open, how to be honest, how to tell these stories that went on that um, obviously still hurt today because um, I'm feeling a little bit upset as I, I relay the story to you. Mm -hmm. um, but if children were given the option or it was the norm to be able to talk about what's going on in the home without actual repercussions happening immediately, do you know, where you build up trust with somebody, and no matter what's going on, there wouldn't it wouldn't have an immediate impact. Um, may um, may help, but I don't know um, if there is that opportunity in schools today. What I would suggest to a new teacher would be to talk with social services, ask them exactly um, what happens when a child discloses something, um, where do you draw the line, when do you have to disclose, what the repercussions for the child and the family would be. Also speak to, I believe there's mentors in schools now, as you said previously, and there's also counsellors. Mm. Um, speak to them what happens when a child discloses something to them and so as the teacher knows exactly where her boundaries lie and what's required of her should she be told something mm. um, yeah I was just going to say thank you very much Colette for, for speaking so openly and candidly about your experiences and I think that's in a way, a lot of our, our new teachers, they really do crave hearing, um, in, in a weird way, crave, crave hearing the kind of realities of, of what children could be facing in the home that they often don't necessarily get a full sort of insight uh, into. But nonetheless, they are on the front line of, of dealing with these young people in the classroom. What I'm hearing as well that's common in, in both of your responses, Lee and Colette, is the importance of, of young people being given the opportunity in school to talk about their feelings in an environment of trust um, where, where things are open and, and honest. And I think some of those suggestions that you made, Colette, as well about how interdependent we are, particularly as, as teachers, I'm thinking with my teacher hat on now, that we're not alone trying to, to, to fight or solve these problems that our young people are experiencing. We've got other support networks um, and professionals to go to, to draw upon for, for support to do it together. Um, Lee, I don't know whether you wanted to add anything. Uh, yeah, mate. Look, Colette, uh, a lovely specific uh, thing there that she's just told us about. I guess, mm. I mean... You know, it, in my own childhood experience, you know, dad was, he was hard working, you know, but he had no, he had no emotional skills himself, you know, so he, he doesn't, he didn't know how to kind of engage and, you know, say I'm sorry or, you know, or, or the only time he said he was sorry is when he thought, you know, he might be out on his ear. But I mean, I, I grew up 
kind of around that and, and seeing like domestic violence and stuff. So I guess there's one way of looking that the environment is certainly plays a big part in who we become. I just think that multiple and complex needs, it doesn't always have to be about a trauma. You know, it can be internalised and, and like you said, I think looking at the emotional, you know, I think if we look at things maybe, you know, when I was a kid at school, I was just told I was misbehaving, but it's only as I've got older, like, you know, the amount of time I can focus and stuff like that is really an issue to me and my anxiety and, and like just bouts of depression. And I think they were always there, you know, before I kind of made any bad choices. So, yeah, environmental, what we see will kind of shape us for the future. But who are we internally as well? Who are we as people? I mean, certainly at a young age, you know, you're looking to find um, a character and, and where you belong. And I guess, again, like that emotional kind of support then and kind of saying to people, you know, it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to feel and not really exploring that stuff. And because, I mean, as a child, you know, like sad, happy, anger, do we really know kind of what abandonment is and rejection? And, and those are the kind of things that we're, we're going to kind of come across the whole of our life. You know, they say from the age of two that you, you experience the first um, abandonment in your life when your mother kind of changes the way she is with you and, and starts to, you know, release the apron strings. These are things that if you don't deal with and look at at a young age, they kind of will kind of haunt you, for, you know, throughout your life. So I guess, yeah, it got, for me, I think one of the biggest things is like understanding the the real meaning of a word and kind of looking at it in depth because we hear a word and then everybody has their own perception and, you know, you can talk about a word for 45 minutes before you actually get to, to everybody the way they really feel about it because of the difference of opinion. But, you know, I'd all just have been able to kind of reach out at a young age and, and be more in touch with my emotions and say, well, it's kind of just what Colette was saying, is this right? Should I have to put up with this? And I guess I would just like to see teachers coming from a more, um, you know, you make your own mistakes in life. I'm going to give you the, you know, maybe sit down and go, well, look, here's a pros and cons list. If you don't get an education, this is what can happen. Ultimately, it's your choice. I'm not telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Because ultimately, you're your own person and you'll make your decisions in life. But I'm going, to equip, I'm going to equip you with the things and it might give you a little insight into what could or what couldn't happen. You know, but never, it just always when I was at school and at home. And I think as any te- a lot of teenagers feel that everything you're being told you should, you shouldn't do, it's forced. They give them back their, give them back their own opportunities and choices and say, well, here you go. Here's the, here's the information. You do what you want with it. But, you know, it's not what we say, I don't think, a lot of the time. It's how we deliver it. You know, that like saying you, there's more than one way to skin a cat. You know, that that to me, again, all these little things, what, you know, my dad used to say to me, you know, and I used to think, ah, oh, you know, just do one, dad, you don't make any. Look, as I've come into my later years, those little, little, little nuggets, like I say, they become mantras, I think. Yeah, a lot of what you're um, saying here is reminding me of, of my very first year in the classroom as a clueless, newly qualified teacher. And you're making me think of a pupil that I had. Uh, I think he was about 14. And he was a complete nightmare in my classes. I'll be totally honest. Uh, he was very hard work and we butted heads for about six months. And because I was clueless and new to the classroom, I genuinely just thought that he was out to make my life hell uh, and that he was having a nice time making my life hell. And it wasn't until a good way into my first year that I happened to chat to somebody who knew him. I think it was his head of year who kind of gave me the lowdown and explained what his home circumstances were like and that basically the only reason he was in school was because it was better than being at home. And uh, once I actually knew what was going on there in the background, uh, to be honest, I was surprised he was making it through the door at all because I don't think I would have I don't think I would have managed to get out of bed in the morning. But I think I think it's that realisation that that the, the kids with the most complex needs will not always make it easy for themselves or for us, you know, and, and we do have to kind of meet them halfway and understand that, as Colette was saying earlier, sometimes it will manifest itself in quite difficult ways in the classroom. Well, there's a saying, isn't there, Thomas, that hurt people hurt people? Yeah. And it's only because somebody's in pain that they uh, outwardly do something. They don't, 
and you know, unless they kind of are going to become a serial killer, and that you know what I mean, yeah. and they kind of just, you know, it's just a way of releasing some kind of emotion that they don't actually understand. I'm just gonna um, not not. I, I would really happily stick with this line of uh, conversation because it is some really interesting stuff coming out there and key messages for student teachers. But something I just wanted to pick your brain on before we um, before we move on to our little short slots is you've been working as peer mentors and it seems to me looking from the outside in that one of the key things that has really kind of made that work is your lived experience and in working with clients our student teachers start out their school placements and they've got someone in their professional life who is almost exactly the same as that is is their mentor they are a teacher themselves they've experienced all of these things i just wanted to know from your perspective in your line of work how important and why you think that peer mentor role is so crucial in what you do it's absolutely crucial um, for the client because previous to our involvement that it is documented that they are notoriously hard to engage mm. so that would be they're hard to engage by professionals aren't they so you have uh, you try and support somebody who you have very little understanding or feelings around what they've lived through, what they've had to cope with. So you, when you get a peer mentor with, who's been through that lived experience, they almost want to pat you on the back for being able to get out of it. Mm. What, how, how, were you, how did you change? Um, and through time, you can inspire somebody. If you spend enough time with them, you can inspire them. But just to to recognize um, what others would call bad behavior. Mm. We see it as something else. Um, when they raise their voices, you've been into lots of shops and offices and doctors and it always says, we will not tolerate verbal abuse. But for us, it's something different. We don't see it as uh, verbal abuse towards us. There's something going on underneath all that. And um, we're far more well-equipped to deal with that um, mm. because we don't take offence to it. This is mm. it, you see. We don't see it as a verbal attack. We see it as something else. And um, having the lived experience, it's so easy. When I was um, in my years of addiction, I remember saying to many other support workers I came across, but you don't know what it's like. And I mean, all too often I would hear, oh, I've been to university and I've done this and I've done that. But it's it's not until. Um, and here's another, um, another uh, little experience I'll tell you about. So for 29 years I was in addiction, came across, oh, I don't know, 50 or more support workers during that time. Mm. And... The one person who gave me one sentence that turned my life around as fast as that and my thinking as fast as that was someone who was working in a service, who had lived experience, but unfortunately he, he wasn't allowed to share it, but he did. He broke his service rule there mm. um, and disclosed to me his circumstances and how that would um, enable me in a life of recovery. And so I proceeded on uh, with, my, um, uh, with my plans to get clean. So after all that time and meeting all them support workers and social workers and you know, it was one person nearly 30 years down the line who made that difference to me, and that was speaking to someone who'd been there and done it. So, you know, and I think um, because of the mutual aid group that I attend, and I'm sure Lee will agree with this, everybody 
who's in recovery has met somebody who's been able to change their life around with a sentence. Am I right, Lee? Yeah, I guess it's a lot about it's the timing, isn't it? I mean, a lot of it is like where you are in your own life. I mean, of course, yes. It's not like, it's it does not like, help. It wasn't said a million times. You know, it's um, it's like we're we're actually in a place where we can accept uh, other people's views and opinions. Mm-hmm. I just think what what you were saying there about the question, and I think Thomas mentioned it and said that, and you know, you have peer mentors, mm-hmm. and what the teacher's actually doing you is telling you about uh, uh, an ins an ins an instance and and how they kind of overcome it. But I think the difference with a peer mentor actually having experienced things themselves is that the things that can't be seen so it's them interactions where they don't feel judged and I'm not saying that uh, people that haven't are judging but mm. but just because you've lived it yourself it, it, it you know them things that you can't see and are unexplainable yeah it, it's kind of that and it and that's what breaks down barriers isn't it for people to open up and go well do you know what maybe Maybe things aren't right at home. Maybe I will confide in you and talk to you. Yeah, I just think the more human you are with people, the mm. more the more susceptible they are to kind of open up to you. If I can add there as well, like with the peer mentoring, all of them think that uh, they've got no hope and they don't know how to change. And Because they've never met anybody like me. I'd never met anybody who was clean and sober, who'd lived a life like me until I met this person right at, at the start of my journey. And it's mm. the same when when you're supporting clients. They've never met anybody who's been able to get out of the same hole that, they, mm. that they're in. And um, like Lee says, the things that you can't see, they automatically know once you've disclosed um your life experience that you've been there you've experienced what they've experienced and you know and so automatically that trust factor is being built up it's it's stuff you they would never disclose to a generic support worker because that support worker would never take them down that route in conversation but we can we can because we have the knowledge, the skills and the experience. Yeah. Thank you both. And I guess although there, there aren't necessarily absolute direct comparisons, um, particularly if we're thinking about teachers working with experienced mentors um, with what you do, the points that you're making about lived experience and the trust needed to kind of lay yourself bare in some instances because teaching is is something that really does uh, lay you bare um, on occasion you know when you're in front of a class for the first time so it's really just interesting to listen to people who are from a completely different sphere talk about working in a way that there's a lot of actually when we get to the nub of it there are a lot of parallels so can I just say a huge thank you it's been a privilege getting to pick your brain uh, about what you do and, and what the parallels might be with with education I'm conscious of time um, you've got a meeting to get to um, fairly soon so um, we, we asked you to do a little bit of homework and to come up with some ideas for our little short slots and the first one is is probably the, the best one in light of what we've been talking about um, it's about well-being and we'd just like to know what you do to look after your own well-being um well if for me my own well-being would be to keep connected to my mutual aid group where i'm accepted i can uh be honest and open tell people how i feel and um keep me as far away from the life that i left seven years ago um, so it's important for me to have those connections, but a happy balance with them. Mm-hmm. I have family, um, uh, children and grandchildren, and, um, you know, a really nice balanced mix. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's what keeps me going. And, of course, my job, my job that I'm so passionate about. You can definitely tell. Thanks, Colette. What about you, Lee? <laughs> I, I say I'm, I'm a big thinker, I am, so not... I guess, I guess if you strip it all down, I mean, what Colette said is lovely, and I, and I love all that stuff and family, and it, you know, I guess what I do it is escape reality by playing a game or something like that. 
but what I but the, the the power of that and the keys that I'm aware of what I'm doing. I know I'm escaping reality because we all need to do it. You know, whether that be you sit and watch your your soaps of an evening, you sit and have a glass of wine. But but as someone that comes from an addictive tendency, I see myself um, how I can abuse things and do things too much. So I'm aware that I want to escape reality, but I also remind myself of moderation. So whatever I do, it needs to be in moderation because you could go to the gym, couldn't you, five nights a week and think, well, I'm doing all right because I'm keeping fit. That's what the life tells me to do, look after my body and well-being. But if you're neglecting other things to go to the gym, you have to try and keep your life balanced in whatever you do. That I guess that's my, my key. Um, I was just wanting to, to add on something um, that Emma said um, about the peer mentoring. It's like um, for you, for your choice, um, to sit and discuss a really difficult day or a difficult few weeks or months that you've experienced in the classroom at work or whatever, um, to get the feedback that you need you wouldn't sit down and talk to, um, I don't know, a shop assistant, would you? Because they just don't get where you're coming from. So you'd sit down with a teacher with similar experiences who could help you overcome what's going on, get you to look at it in a different light. And then after your conversation, you say, oh, yeah, that feels good. Whether it helps or not, you've got it off your chest. And I don't think it's that simple. People don't see it. You don't, you know, you do it, but you don't see it. So what you're doing, sitting talking with your mates after work because you've had a really hard time, they exactly know what you're talking about. And it's the same with us as peer mentors. We're talking to people that um, we were once in their shoes and we know exactly what they're talking about. But it's just that we have extra knowledge and extra skills to help them get out of that. You know, and maybe your friends do. Maybe they've got knowledge and skills. They'll say, oh, I did it this way and it may work for you. So you I'm, adapt. You adapt sure, what they did. I'm sure uh, Emma turns to, to the Bexter for a, for a sympathetic ear. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 we did on on Friday night, just gone, actually. <laughs> yeah, we, had a, we had our Friday night catch up uh, on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And she's a, she's an ex-teacher herself as well. So she, yeah, she's she? got lived experience too. Yeah. Yeah. So there, I didn't, I, I don't know if you realised what you were doing there, but it's absolutely no different to what we're doing, peer mentoring people who um, we were once like them. Absolutely. <laughs> it's so, that easy. It's that, you know, but it, it's it so is. simple. It's so simple. Cathartic. It absolutely is. Cathartic, isn't it? It is. It is, Lee. Cathartic is the word. Um, I'm I'm mindful of your of your meeting in ten minutes, so no. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna keep it. This is absolutely not me uh, wanting to end this conversation, but we want, mm. wanted me to keep it chivying along for you. The other thing we wanted to ask you about was something that you're reading, or you've been watching, or listening to that you've been interested. It's just something interesting that you would like to share with our our listeners. I'll go first and make it quick. Like I said earlier in the earlier question, I'll do anything to escape reality. So I'll watch things, but I ain't really paying attention. It's in the background. So I'll watch anything, you know, mm. just to kind of, like a 50-50, I guess, just to keep my mind slightly occupied. But if I was going to say, uh, I don't do as much reading as I should, but if I was going to suggest a book to anybody um, mm. to read, it would be uh, The Alchemist by Kola. Paolo, mm. Gale, that would be mm -hmm. my suggestion. Great. Mm. Thanks, nice Lee. Thanks, Lee. Um, what I do is, if I have an interest, like now I've joined on these masterclasses for um, social enterprises. I want to see how the other people do it regarding funding and whatever takes my fancy at the time, I'll um, hook up and find out what's going on. And that keeps me going. We were just um, musing on the fact there over here that uh, the whole episode is a kind of something to try, isn't it? I mean, you've given so many great tips and pieces of advice for uh, new members of the profession to kind of, you know, humanise themselves and, and loads of myths and things like that. So it's been a massive something to try just to kind of 
you know, come away from the academia for a bit and remember that, that the kids are humans and, and that we may have no idea what, what's going on in their lives and perhaps we should try and find out. So thank you for that. We've, we've, we're absolutely overwhelmed by the amount of good stuff in this episode. We're so grateful to you for your time. Both of you, thank you. Okay, so there you have it. Uh, really interesting, um, and I must say, quite moving conversation with Lee and Colette. Now, for you student teachers out there who are thinking very carefully now about perhaps some of the encounters you've had with young people in the classroom, or maybe if you're feeling a bit nervous about encountering young people who have got some very complex things going on at home, I think some of the sage advice or maybe kind of key themes that have come out of that interview and that discussion is how important it is to remember that we are not alone in this profession that we work with other classroom practitioners and also uh, professionals who work with the school to support learners but I think it's also important to note that you might be noticing things in the classroom and we've got policies and processes to support you if and when they come up such as our child protection training um, that we offer at the start of our teacher training programs here at Cardiff Met and you will have also had duplicated training whilst on placement but I think a broader thing to remember is that these young people arrive at our classrooms having experienced things maybe at home that we don't know about and I think it's important and raises the point of just raising our head above the parapet and, and looking a little bit more broadly at the experiences of our young people their parents their carers and, and the sort of community that that we serve as teachers so hopefully that's given you loads of things to think about. Um, our huge thanks to Lee and Colette from Shelter for coming on and, and giving us so much of themselves in that interview. It was, it was really quite uh, quite a departure from our normal episodes, but we hope you found that useful. We'll be back in two weeks with probably something completely different. Um, <laughs> but until then, uh, take care of yourselves. Take care. You've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze. The special guests this episode were Colette Carter and Lee Dimitriou from Shelter. And you can find out more about the work of Shelter by going to sheltercumry.org.uk. Podcast artwork was by Beth Blanford and the music was by Cameron Stewart. As ever, we'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. <laughs>